Welcome to the DLA Piper Infrastructure Podcast. In this series from DLA Piper, we explore how infrastructure, construction and transport are adjusting to a post-COVID-19 world. We examine the biggest challenges ahead and how businesses must evolve to meet them, both in the short and in the longer term. In each episode, you'll get the latest views and insights from DLA Piper's leading lawyers. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast. My name is Daniel Colgan. Um, I'm a partner in the antitrust group based in Brussels, and I will be hosting you today together with my partner, Rob. Hi, I'm Robert Smith. Um, I co-head DLA's Road and Rail subsector with Daniel. Thank you, Rob. And we're joined today by two very distinguished guests, Jonna and Eric. Jonna, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hi, everybody. So my name is Jonna Heikinen. I'm the head of global business development at Mass Global. And I've been working in the mobility as a service industry for the past eight years. Super exciting to be here talking with you. Thank you very much, Jonna. And Eric? Hello, everybody from me too. Uh, Eric Stebe. I am heading the regulatory and antitrust procedure team in the legal department of Deutsche Bahn. And I'm happy to be part of this podcast today. Perfect. Well, it's a pleasure having you both on board, so to speak. And um, I think your sets of expertise are, are very complementary to the topic which we hope to get to the bottom of today, which relates to the dynamics, outlooks in relation to transport in light of the current global pandemic. So if we maybe jump right in, we are, I think intending to trace what has happened to date, as well as doing a little bit of crystal ball gazing as to kind of what the future might hold and, and, and how trends are, uh, are developing. In relation to developments and trends over the past year, um, in, in your respective fields, what do you feel the key impacts have been? And um, maybe we'll start with... Uh, with you, Eric. Well, of course, the last year has seen uh, tremendous changes in both passenger and um, uh, freight transport. I'm not only talking about rail freight, but the whole sector has faced tremendous changes. Uh, cargo, uh, however, has recovered more quickly. By the end of 2020, I think the figures were quite uh, comparable to the end of 2090. In passenger transport, uh, just to refer to uh, some figures very briefly, I think we are at the moment in, in rail passenger transport, to be precise, working with uh, something of 85% of the supply we used to have over a year ago and operate our, in particular long distance trains with something like 20% of the passenger numbers we uh, usually would expect. So this has really been a, an historic breakdown uh, over the year, but uh, the, the system is uh, recovering slowly. Very good. And I think maybe, Jan, I will put you as, in a, in a way, a complementary side of the spectrum on this one. It'd be interesting to hear how things are generally uh, from your perspective in relation to mobility and whether maybe some of these former rail passengers moved on to use, at least at, at this point, other modes of transport. Yes, absolutely. So I I believe that the whole transport sector is going through a massive change. Uh, we are, of course, looking this in a couple of different perspectives. Uh, so first of all, uh, 
Well, I don't know how many know the company of ours called Mars Global, uh, but we are basically doing a service called WIM uh, that is based on this mobility as a service concept where we combine variety of different transport services uh, from public transport to taxi and car services to different type of uh, micro mobility services into a one single application. And with the WIM app, uh, users can be booking and paying uh, all the available transport services directly with the same app uh, without need to download several different applications into their phone. And of course, a second is that due to the mass co- concept and actually also my personal interest towards transport sector, I'm also actively kind of following future mobility trends and now also impacts of COVID into our sector. I believe uh, we all know that there has been already quite a lot of uh, studies and articles how the uh, kind of the mobility behavior has been changing now uh, during COVID. Uh, so we have been seeing huge impacts on public transport and taxi services, but it's been actually the same thing across all the different ways how people go around. For example, in Sweden, uh, that has been a country that has not been actually taking that uh, quick measures in regards of lockdowns and similar. Even there, the decrease in public transport ridership has been 40 to 60 percent across different regions. And we can see also the same thing within the WIMAP. Uh, so people have been using uh, less public transport services and also taxi services. And they have been preferring the use of bikes, e-scooters and car type of services. And I actually think it's quite understandable in this situation, as I believe that many of us in a way want to secure our own personal space. And as we can see, uh, many are now choosing modes where you don't have to have that human com- contact in place. Thank you very much. And I, I think indeed there are two issues, right? So the, the one is, are there less passengers because people are traveling less? Uh, or are there less passengers in, in, in rail, for example? Eric, to kind of explain the drop in your numbers because passengers are shifting to, to other modes. So it's quite interesting to see from you, Jona, that you're saying, well, actually there's been a drop throughout, which I guess is explicable by the by the various lockdown measures and the increase of, uh, of home working. Absolutely. And I think it's been also uh, interesting to see how in general the whole mobility as a service concept uh, can survive in this type of situation, uh, because as the model is actually covering such a variety of transport services, uh, we can still be ensuring that there are always services available for the users, even if their mobility behavior is changing dramatically during well last year. And now, of course, it will continue this year as well. And is it fair to say, Jonathan, that the patterns you're observing are then more kind of the localized travel? So people, for example, commuting to work, going shopping, or do you also cover more longer trips? Well, people are using the WIMAP to cover their kind of commuting to work, but also their free time travel. Uh, So uh, we have, of course, a lot of services available in the city areas where we have the local public transportation system. And for example, the, the tier scooters, voice scooters or for example, taxi services and so on. But then we have also car rentals as part of the service offering. Uh, So of course, with the car rentals, you can also go outside of your city and travel from city to city and 
even in some cases country to country. So we are covering also the long distance travel and in some countries also some rail services. And, and so Jana, taking Daniel's point, so can you also see where people are traveling changing? So you said to move to micromobility, is that also moved out of the city centers in some places? Because that, that to me seems where I am, that many of the trends have been that where people are traveling is different because there's more localized travel than there was 12 months ago. Well, of course, like depending on the situation, uh, but like now that we have had quite a major lockdowns, for example, uh, of course, people are staying more at home. And in general, in many of the countries, it's recommended uh, to continue working remotely. So, of course, it will have impacts how people move and it will like we can see that people travel less. And of course, when you are trying to avoid seeing your family members in other cities, for example, it means also that you are more staying in the city where you are living. Uh, so definitely it's it's having an impact now with COVID in that case as well. In, in terms of the trends, of course, a lot is to do with, as you explained, Jonna, people wanting to ensure that they are safe from a health perspective while they travel. Eric, in that respect... Because you mentioned you distinguished between the, the more kind of local trips and the long-haul train rides and, and the different drop patterns that you saw there. Is there, would you say, a difference in terms of providing that, uh, that safe environment for passengers? I mean, I guess the more local the trains are, the, the higher the kind of turnover, i.e. people getting in and out. Whereas for longer journeys, it's almost like, I guess, in a plane where you can probably you know, between stations, for example, apply disinfection for, for new passengers so they, they will have a, a, you know, guaranteed safe seat when they get on. I, I think you are absolutely correct. Uh, long distance passenger transport, given the um, current uh, figures of passengers anyway, it is very easy to organize the transport without close contacts between passengers or contacts or limit uh, contacts as uh, much as possible. Uh, whereas in regional passenger services, it is sometimes not so easy because uh, if people still go to work or at certain times or you simply cannot influence the system in a similar way. You don't have reservation systems for these purposes, for example. But uh, I think it must be noted as passenger figures have gone down throughout the sector, all sorts of modes, um, regional and long distance. It has been quite a safe system to travel on, uh, the railway uh, system. Probably not as safe as going on foot or by bicycle or private car, because there you're re really on your own. But it is, uh, given the figures of passengers, a safe system to travel on throughout the pandemic. Okay, so, so having looked at what has happened, we still are sat in a position with a lot of uncertainty. And in fact, we probably have more uncertainty over the last few months in Europe than we actually maybe did last summer. So the next question is, what longer term impacts do you see coming from the current situation and how is this going to impact transport trends going forward? And maybe again, Eric, do you want to start in terms of rail? 
Yes, uh, let me start by saying it is probably far too early to say uh, that, <laughs> far too early to predict what's going to happen. I mean, we've seen developments uh, in this pandemic which have been very surprising and unforeseeable. So it is all a bit of an educated guess at this stage. But I think, I hope uh, also, that rail will be one of the massive winners of uh, the whole development because the travel patterns, the patterns of mobility will certainly change um, uh, also in the course of um, the development with home office and uh, remote working and things like that. If people no longer have to travel to their office every morning, you probably see a reduction in the number of daily commuters, but you probably see an increase in the number of long-term uh, commuters who travel to their office maybe once or twice a week and do remote working for the rest of the week. So this may even increase uh, figures in the railway sector. But uh, it is really, as I said too early to say that, because we can only speculate at this stage on how this is going to develop. The same consequently applies to the question uh, whether business models of transport companies will change under these changing circumstances. The only thing that is quite certain at this stage is that the impact of climate change will still be there because, um, well, simply there's no vaccination against that. If we've overcome the pandemic, we will still have the question how to organize our mobility and um, this will be, from our perspective, in the favour of railway transport. And, and if I could just ask a follow-up question on that, I think that's very interesting. That That's a real challenge for certainly the rail sector generally, isn't it? Which, as you said, it's seen possibly some of the largest drops in passenger numbers because of the nature of travel. But at the same time, we're in a position where we see a real opportunity in rail because of the fact that it is a low-carbon alternative for long-distance travel and therefore something where the industry would expect to be seen as one of the key areas where there are opportunities over the next few decades. Is that something as a business that um, you're trying to understand how to engage with government on that to make sure that actually there is the correct investment going forward, despite the fact that at the moment passenger numbers are low? Yes, of course. I mean, this is, uh, of course, a political objective uh, that has been set. And we, as a state-owned railway company, uh, try to fit ourselves in those strategies. And Diona, coming to you in terms of your business model, what do you see the longer term impacts of this being and how do you see yourself adapting to that as well in terms of how you serve these changing demands on different transport modes? Well, I can definitely agree what Eric was saying that I expect also to see that uh, remote working will continue in some way. Uh, maybe not full-time, but more than before COVID. And I assume that it will have an impact on former travel patterns. As earlier, there has been kind of clear peak hours, uh, for example, with public transport and in road traffic. So I assume that, for example, public transport might need to rethink their schedule and with what will be the utilization of their services. I actually believe also that it could be uh, that the face masks will stay also uh, while using transport services even after COVID. Well, at least when you are not able to quarantine your personal space and that we would be able to be prepared for potential new viruses. 
And I actually anyhow believe also that people are starting to be quite fed up with the whole pandemic. Uh, so sooner or later, they will start moving again and being more active. And this, of course, also needed for businesses to survive. But definitely kind of uh, when it comes to our business, all of this will have a major impact to our business as well. Like we are depending on how much people are going around and Our kind of goal is to uh, kind of uh, increase the usage of different transport services and have people doing less of their privately made trips with the private cars. Uh, so unfortunately, this pandemic hasn't been that good for that case because we can see also that people are relying more on their private cars. But I'm sure we can survive from this year and we will get back to the earlier figures as well. And I suppose the follow-up question I'd have for both of you, and, uh, and again, maybe starting with Eric, one of the things that we've seen certainly in the UK has been there's been a very large amount of government support for public transport because fundamentally, even in the middle of a pandemic, having those transport routes there are absolutely necessary for, for key workers. So do you think in in that respect, whilst this has been a very difficult year in some ways for transport, it's also made clearer the case of why actually public transport systems are essential and therefore it makes a clearer case for why there needs to be continued support. That's certainly a case that's being made in the UK. I'd be interested to know whether that's the same in the other jurisdictions you're in. Well, thanks for that very good question. I'm convinced that the uh, relationship between uh, the state uh, everywhere in Europe, uh, the state and transport companies will fundamentally change in the next years because uh, the pandemic actually has brought about that governments rely on public transport companies in a crisis like this and have to rely on that and uh, that in such a situation, companies cannot be run just by uh, profitability and economic figures at least over shorter periods of time, but they have to serve public needs to get people to work or keep the economy running, supply chains in place and so on and so forth. This does not only apply to the railway sector, it also applies to airlines and other modes of transport. And this is something that will be under the observation of the European Commission, of course, because state aid issues may be involved there, but it will be to a large extent subject to policy discussions in various member states because questions of privatization, uh, the, the role of the public sector um, at large are subject to this discussion. So I expect quite intense discussions going on over the, over the next years in that respect. Thanks, Eric. A really interesting answer. And, and Jona, similarly, I'd ask you, you, you obviously have a role the way your company works in integrating different modes of transport. Is there more that could be done by government to, to support that in terms of the move back to public transport. You, you mentioned there's been a clear move to private car. Is there anything that should be done to encourage a move back to public transport by government to support that? Yeah, it's actually uh, a shame that there has been such a major impact in public transportation because uh, I believe like there has been such a good work in the past kind of bringing more people to use public transportation and improve the usage of public transportation and how to create more connectivity around it. And definitely uh, there is coming support for different public transport organizations, but unfortunately the money is now going just to survive. Uh, so 
in a way I see it as a shame because formerly the money would have gone that they would have been able to improve their services. So now it's that that same money is just going for surviving. Uh, so I don't know how long time it will take that we are actually again in a situation that we can again be spending that money to improve those services instead of just surviving. Do either of you see the need in terms of improving the services for there to be significant expenditure in terms of, let's say, COVID-proofing the services? Because you mentioned, Yona, that the mask wearing uh, is something which you envisage could be maintained. Um, and I think if we if we look at other parts of the world, you know, there are indications that that could indeed be the case. But just in terms of the, let's say, the, the transport infrastructure and or the rolling stock in terms of rail, Eric, I mean, is there any significant investment you think that needs to be made there or, or will this just be a question of people wearing a mask and then and then that box is ticked, so to speak? Well, I think the presumption still is that our life also in the transport sector will go back to normal once medical treatment uh, has improved. That means vaccination of the large majority of the population will hopefully make that unnecessary. I'm not aware of any specific COVID proofing of, uh, of the system, which would essentially mean less people being allowed to travel on one single train, which would also mean special access restrictions in railway stations, etc. This, as far as I can see, has not been uh, discussed. Okay. And from your perspective, Jana? Uh, so we have been able to see that many of the service providers have been increasing the safety and hygiene uh, measures inside their vehicles, for example, with car sharing services. Uh, so I expect that uh, also kind of the more active cleaning uh, will last quite a long time. Also, for example, in public transport and rail services, uh, that has been at least lo loads in the news that uh, they have been doing more cleaning inside those vehicles that people would feel more safe there. So, Yona, taking you, how do you think commercial models in terms of delivery of transport are going to change over the next few years as a result of what we've seen? Uh, well, at least I can speak on behalf of our business uh, and we can already see impact on commercial models. Uh, so we have had previously kind of two models available for end users. So we've had pay as you go and different monthly subscriptions. Uh, so of course in pay as you go, people are purchasing single trips for different services and with monthly subscriptions, uh, we are providing a kind of fixed amount of mobility services with a fixed monthly price that may, for example, include 30-day public transportation ticket. Uh, and as people are now working today more remotely uh, and they're actively coming new lockdowns, people are at the moment quite hesitant to commit to a service even for a month as they don't even know how their next week might be looking like. Uh, so due to that, we are uh, at the moment implementing and introducing new products in WIM, uh, such as kind of 10 public transportation ticket bundles and micro-mobility bundles that we believe will fit better into the current situation. And at the same time, we are very actively uh, co-innovating uh, with our partners and thinking of new commercial models and how those could fit to user needs better in this current situation and actually also in a long run. 
So we actually also believe that this is the way to keep people still using public transportation and other services and to avoid them changing completely using privately owned vehicles. Eric, um, I have a question to you. We touched upon kind of green and and, and carbon neutrality early on. And and of course, it is one of the trends coming out of the, the global pandemic that you know, those are topics which, in terms of the recovery, are very high on the agenda. So let's recover, but let's make things greener while we recover. I wonder, is there generally an impact uh, or a similar impact in relation to technology that the pandemic kind of triggers specific technological developments? Yes, there certainly is. I mean, uh, working from home and other uh, things like that would not have been possible without continuous development of the technical standards. I'm talking about digitalization here is the major uh, keyword, and this will also improve, of course, the services in uh, the transport sector, in particularly in particular the railway sector. I mean, I'm talking about uh, things like real time information for passengers and things like that only, but also of the use of these new technical options for the allocation of resources. And it it might probably end with things like automated driving of trains and so forth at one stage. So in this respect, the pandemic and uh, the technical developments that have been made to cope with the changing circumstances uh, will also serve as a booster for the development, the technological development in the uh, in the railway sector. And uh, it is also very much needed. It is necessary that this happens. But I think we will see these changes in the not too distant future. Thanks very much, everyone, for that. That's been really interesting. So I think from this discussion, we've learned a lot both about how public transport and and freight have responded over the last year to the impacts of COVID and also the range of issues and risks that the whole sector has to consider going forward, both in terms of the risks that they continue to be whilst we're still impacted by COVID, but also the opportunities that there are in terms of new models being brought forward, great use of technology and actually opportunities for the sector in terms of the changes that we've seen over the last year and also the, the wider green agenda mean there are real opportunities for the sector going forward. Um, that's been a really interesting half hour, and I'd like to thank um, both Eric and Jonna for their really interesting input. Thanks, Rob, and a big thank you from my side also to both Eric and, and Jonna. It's been fascinating. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure to participate. Thank you very much. It's been very exciting. That was DLA Piper's Daniel Colgan and Robert Smith speaking to Eric Stieber, Head of Regulatory and Antitrust Procedure at Deutsche Bahn, and Jonna Heikkinen, Head of Global Business Development for Mars Global. Any information in this podcast is for general guidance only and is correct as of the date of recording. This podcast is not intended to be and should not be used as a substitute for taking legal advice in any specific situation. For full terms and conditions, please see our website. Thank you for listening to the DLA Piper Infrastructure Podcast. Subscribe now through your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode.